Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we are headed as a church. Once again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. Well, it is 2019. As hard as that is to believe and as difficult as it is to start writing that, I know you're still writing 2018, right? But it is 2019. And one of the things that happens at the turn of every new year is a lot of people make New Year's resolutions. How many of you made at least one New Year's resolution this year? Don't be afraid. Even if you've already failed, just hold your hand up. That's all right. So a lot of folks made them. Uh, statistics say that somewhere between 45 and 60% of all Americans make at least one New Year's resolution. And we're kind of obsessed with these things, so much so that there are already studies out on the top New Year's resolutions for 2019. Uh, Inc. Magazine has already done a study of Americans, and here's what they've discovered are the top 10 resolutions for 2019. Let me show them to you. Eat healthier, exercise more, lose weight. Well, what's, really, what's funny is you could really drop this in any time in the last 100 years, and they're going to be basically the same, but, but save more money and spend less. Those kind of go together, right? Learn a new skill or hobby, quit smoking, read more, find another job, drink less alcohol, spend more time with family and friends. There you have the top 10 New Year's resolutions for 2019. Some of you are chuckling because you see some of yours up here. Uh, some of you are looking up here and seeing some you've already failed at. But we call these resolutions. Now, the word resolution comes from the word resolve. Meaning you could begin each one of these with the statement, I resolve to. So I resolve to, say it out loud, eat healthier. There's the number one New Year's resolution that's out there right now. I resolve. Now, the word resolve, if you look it up in a dictionary, here's what it means. To make a definite and serious decision to do something. So 60% of Americans made a definite and serious, I'm resolved. Let me show you a couple of numbers. Here's the first one. 8%. You know what that number is? That's the number of people who actually keep their New Year's resolutions. 8% of the people who make them. Let me show you another number. 80%. You know what that number is? That's the number of people who will fail by the second week of February. <laughs> We're just past the Super Bowl. And 80% of the people that determined to make a, quote, definite and serious decision to do something will have already failed by the second week of February. It leads to a question. Why are we so bad at change? Why do we fail at it so miserably? Well, I want to put those 10 back up here again. I want you to notice something about them. All 10 of these have something in common. You know what it is? 
they all deal with change on the outside. Every one of these deals with something external. Change on the outside. And here's the reality. What's going to make 2019 different is not what you change on the outside. What's going to make 2019 different (laughs) is what you change on the inside. You see, the real you is who you are spiritually. And the real you is your spiritual life. And the center of your spiritual life is found in the heart. Real life change begins in the heart and then flows out. Yes, does it affect some of this external? Absolutely it does. But the external is the overflow of the real change that's taking place on the inside. For this reason, at Hope Church, we're today beginning a 21-day journey that we're calling Awaken. Preparing our hearts for the year ahead. And we're going to take 21 days and we're going to ask the Lord to begin to do some deep transformation on the inside. And there are a lot of layers to this journey that we're inviting you to join us on. And so I'm going to get some help with a video that I want you to watch that will see the many layers of this journey that we're inviting you into for the next 21 days. So turn your eyes towards the screen. Hey, Hope Church, the next 21 days are going to be extremely exciting as we prepare our hearts for the year ahead. As Jesus followers, we believe that there are four strategic ways that we should invest our time in order to deepen our relationship with God, our relationship with God's family, and our relationship with the people who do not know God at all. We refer to those as God time, gather time, group time, and go time. For this special month in the life of our church, we're providing tools and opportunities within each of those times to help you prepare your heart for the year ahead. Here's a quick overview. For God time, which is time spent daily alone in fellowship with God, we have unique daily devotionals for the next 21 days. So starting tomorrow, on our website and smartphone app, you can access these special God time devotionals. Also, for God time, we're uniting together to cover this year in prayer by praying 24 hours a day for the next 21 days. As you leave, you'll have the opportunity to select one or more 30-minute time slots to be a part of this special prayer journey. Now, before you say that part's not for me, you need to know that we'll have tools to help you as you pray. And you can access these tools daily on our website and smartphone app from whatever location that you find yourself in. We also have a prayer room here on campus during this journey. If you'd like to come on campus and pray during those time slots, our prayer room will be available from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Saturday. For gather time, which is time spent weekly in worship with my church, we will be teaching a three-part series called Awaken. And we'd love for you to join us each Sunday for worship. Also for gather time, we'll have a very special two-day worship experience on January 27th and 28th that will include three different services with different speakers focused on spiritual awakening. For group time, which is time spent consistently with a small group for my church, we'll have a weekly curriculum related to the sermon series for all the groups to discuss each week. Now, if you're not connected in a group or you don't attend regularly, this will be a great time to join a group. As a matter of fact, you can visit the Next Step Center today to go ahead and sign up. Lastly, for go time 
which is time spent annually on mission, locally and globally. We're going to have a citywide go to joining God's mission here in Las Vegas. On Saturday, January 19th, we'll be engaged in over 30 service projects across our city. Today in the courtyard, you can see a list of those projects, locations, and times to decide which one you're going to be a part of. Also, for go time, there'll be an opportunity for you to invest financially in what God is doing globally to expand His kingdom. We'll be sharing more about that specific opportunity later this month. All of the information and opportunities for this 21-day journey are available today on the website listed below. I hope that you'll be a part of this special journey with us as we prepare our hearts for the year ahead. So there you got it. A lot of layers to this, what we're inviting you into for the next 21 days. As you came in today in your seat was a card that has that web address on it so that you can go this afternoon and check out all the things in more detail that he talked about, but it's all there on the website for you. But two things I want to highlight that he just mentioned that we're going to be doing over these 21 days. One of them is 21 straight days of prayer. For the next 21 days, we're going to pray 24 hours around the clock. Now, don't freak out. That doesn't mean you have to pray for 24 hours by yourself. That's not what we're saying. We're asking you to take 30-minute time slots. And you can, when you came in, you saw some boards that are out there where people have already begun to sign up, where for the next three weeks, 21 days, we're going to ask you to select at minimum one of those time slots and you can select one each week you can select more than one each week but where you'd be willing to pray and we're going to give you some resources and tools every day is going to be a different prayer guide so we're going to give you the tools where we can pray together for 21 straight days but we need a lot of you to fill this up specifically week one we got to get week one filled in today because it starts tomorrow so be sure you go out there and do that the other thing is the service opportunity on january the 19th you're going to see opportunities out in the courtyard where you can sign up over 30 different places around our city where we're going to serve. And it would be awesome if we could mobilize a few thousand people in our church on that day to be out there serving, demonstrating the love and life of Jesus to the city of Las Vegas that so desperately needs to experience his love. Amen. So if you're in on the journey, say amen. Amen. Awesome. We're going to have a great 21 days together. At the end of this, we're going to have a special two-day event. I can't wait to tell you the speakers we got coming. I'm not going to tell you today. You got to come back next week to find out. But I can't wait to tell you the speakers that we've got coming for our two-day event. But if you got your Bible this morning, open it to Matthew chapter 5. I want to begin this series right here in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus in these verses opens his mouth and begins to describe a very radical way of living. We find it contained in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded sermon of Jesus in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. But in Matthew chapter 5, he opens with what's called the Beatitudes. They are these statements that are so tight and succinct, but yet they describe a radical way of living the Christian life. It's really what kingdom living is supposed to look like. And we're going to look at one of these today out of Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 8. Every one of these statements is power-packed, but verse 8 is a unique treasure in the deep mind of God's truth. Look at it, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in, say it out loud, heart, for they shall see God. 
Read it out loud with me. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So much treasure in that simple statement from Jesus. So much so that one writer and preacher of days gone by named Martin Lloyd-Jones, listen to what he says about this verse of Scripture. We come now to what is undoubtedly one of the greatest utterances found anywhere in the whole realm of Holy Scripture. Anyone who realizes even something of the meaning of the words, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, can approach them only with a sense of awe and of complete inadequacy. This statement, of course, has engaged the attention of God's people ever since it was first uttered, and many great volumes have been written in an attempt to expound it. Indeed, no one can ever exhaust this verse. What a statement about this verse of Scripture. So I read you this as a little bit of a disclaimer to say, there's no way this morning we're going to unpack all of the riches of Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, but I want to try to begin to do that because this verse brings incredible truth into what we want to talk about this month. And as as awe-inspiring as that verse is today when we read it, it was even more radical in the day when Jesus made the statement. You say, why would it have been more radical then? Well, you got to understand who Jesus was talking to. When Jesus made these statements in Matthew chapter 5, he was speaking in a sermon, and the audience was overwhelmingly a Jewish audience. The Jews were God's covenant people from the Old Testament. God chose them for himself and entered into a covenant with them. And as a part of that covenant, God gave them the Old Testament law. Now, God gave them the law for a specific reason. He gave them the law, first of all, to reveal his holy character. God gave the law to his covenant people so that they could understand his righteousness and his holiness and his glorious nature. When we see the law of God, we realize the perfection of who God is. But he also gave us the law to provide guidance to us to get the most out of life. You see, when God gave us the law, you shall do this, you shall not do that. He didn't do that to hurt us or to rob us. God gave us the law to help us. When God said, don't do something, what God was saying was, don't hurt yourself. When God says, do something, what God is saying is, help yourself. So God gave us the law to see his glorious character, but he also gave us the law as a guidance to keep us out of the pitfalls and and minefields of life. But thirdly, God gave us the law to reveal our need for a Savior. When you look at the law, you realize there's no way we can keep this. And we're going to need somebody who can save us. The law is what led us to our need for a Savior. But in this day, when Jesus began to make these statements, he was speaking to a Jewish audience who was largely under the leadership of a group of people called the scribes and the, who is it? The Pharisees, right? Some of you know, the scribes and the Pharisees. We hear those terms, and immediately we think of the bad guys in the Bible, right? They're the ones that were against Jesus. We almost see them like they got the big, tall, black hat and the little twisty mustache. They're the, yeah, we, we do think that's what they're doing all the time. But, but the scribes and the Pharisees were not, in and of themselves, evil people. As a matter of fact, they were viewed by the Jewish people as the most spiritual people of the day. And most Jews raised their children, teaching them to follow. Follow the teaching and the example of the scribes and the Pharisees, and it would have been their dream to grow up and become 
like them. But the scribes and the Pharisees, as sincere as they were, made a sincerely wrong interpretation of the law. And the scribes and the Pharisees believed that God had given the law, and if we would keep the law, we could earn favor with God. That if we just obeyed the law, then God would be happy with us. And to make matters worse, they took the Old Testament law and what the scribes did is they took every statement in the law and added hundreds of rules interpreting the law and they imposed all of those rules on the Jewish people and said, if you don't keep every one of these rules, God's not going to be happy with you. Let me give you an example of what I mean. In the Ten Commandments, the scripture says you are to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And the Bible goes on to say that on the Sabbath, it's a day of rest and we're not to work. Right? Makes sense. If you got that, say amen. So here's what the scribes did. The scribes interpreted that and they wrote down hundreds of expressions of what it meant to work. For example, the scribes said, you can't spit on the Sabbath. Why would you? Here's why you can't spit. Because if you spit, that's work. You're watering the ground. And if you water the ground, you can cultivate the field and you can allow. Or, or if you spit, you're taking the dirt and you can form it into clay. And with clay, you can make a pot. So if you spit, you're, that's right. Remember when Jesus healed a guy on the Sabbath and he did it by spitting on the ground and he made clay and he put it in his eyes and he made it. And the scribes and the Pharisees, they just blew a gasket. Why? Because he's working on the Sabbath. What did he do? He spit. So the scribes and the Pharisees had taken, and that's just one example. There are hundreds of them where they had interpreted the law. And here's what they did. They took their interpretation and they elevated it to the same level as the law and said, if you don't keep all of this, God is not happy with you. John MacArthur summarized it really well. Listen to what he said. So the mass of people in Israel were frustrated by a legal system they could not keep. And it produced in them tremendous guilt and anxiety. It's the way a lot of people feel about religion. Yet here was a people committed to the reality of God and to the fact that he had revealed himself in laws. They were crying for a savior, a redeemer, one who would not impose more rules on them, but one who would forgive them of the ones they'd already broken. They wanted something real. They wanted to know how you really get into the kingdom because if you got in by keeping the law, nobody would be in the kingdom. And they knew it. So that's the context. And Jesus comes on the scene and to this Jewish audience who was worn out with the law, he said, Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. And on one side, they were elated with the simplicity. They'd gone from this list of hundreds of rules and regulations and, and do's and don'ts and rights and wrong. They'd gone from hundreds and, to one simple. And the simplicity and the purity of that statement caused them to rejoice. And yet on the other side, 
They thought, we can't even be pure in action. How in the world are we going to ever get pure in heart? Because Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. So what did Jesus mean when he said that? Well, to understand it, I'm going to preach this sermon a little bit backwards today. All right? Here's what I mean by that. Normally at Hope, when we go through a verse or a text of Scripture, we'll kind of pull out a teaching point out of the Scriptures, and then we will unpack it using the Scripture that we're reading. But I'm going to do it differently today. I'm going to do the unpacking first, and then I'm going to give you a couple of teaching points, some takeaways that you can walk out with at the end. If you're all right with that, say amen. If you're not all right with that, just get over it, because that's how we're doing it today, all right? Uh, So let's unpack it. There are three words in this verse that are really important if you're going to understand this verse of Scripture. And you also need to know this. The Bible, as we read it in the New Testament, the language that Jesus was speaking was the Greek language. So the meaning of these words in their original language is very important. So three words in this verse. Here's the first one, the word pure. Say that word out loud with me pure. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. What does the word pure mean? Well, the word pure in the Greek language has two distinct meanings. First of all, it means to be cleansed or to be without defilement. But this is important. It's the picture of a garment that had gotten dirty. It was stained And through a process, the garment has now been cleansed, and it is without stain. It is clean again. That's important. Kay Arthur highlights it this way. Listen to what she said. In other words, God is not saying that if I want to see him, I have to have a heart that has never been dirty. Everybody needs to say amen right there. Amen? He's not saying I have to have a heart that's never been dirty or tainted. Rather, it's a purity that comes from having been cleansed. If Jesus said, blessed are the pure, and what he meant was someone who's never been defiled, someone who's never been dirty, guess what? None of us ever have a shot of ever seeing God because we've all sinned against God. We've all broken God's laws. But the beauty of this word is it speaks to a cleansing that takes that which is dirty and makes it clean again. It's the way the prophet Isaiah wrote about it in Isaiah chapter 1. He said, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins were as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Yes, I was dirty, but now I've been made clean. That's the word pure. It describes a purity like that in Jesus himself. When it says of Jesus in the Gospels that he was unblemished and spotless. It's a restoration to that kind of purity. But this word purity also means a second thing. It means to be not diluted. It's a word that means singleness. Maybe best said this way, single-eyed devotion. And this word as it's used like this is a picture of milk or of wine that has not been diluted with water. It's pure. Or it's a picture of a metal that has been purified and it has no impurities in it any longer. It is now a pure metal. Used in our context here like it is in Matthew chapter 5, God is using that word to speak to the focused devotion of a believer. One pursuit, pure. 
Second word that's very important is the word heart. The word heart. We hear the word heart today, and immediately we think of the blood-pumping organ located on the left side of our chest cavity. And although this word in the Greek language can mean that, as it's used here, it's used the way it is in most of the New Testament. It's not here describing that physical blood-pumping organ inside of our chest. Here it's describing the center and seat of human life. Our desires, our feelings, our impulses, our passions, our thoughts, all of this is wrapped up in the word heart. Meaning this, the heart is the real me. The heart is the real you. It's describing who you are on the inside. It's the essence of your being and personality. When Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, he's talking about a purity that is the real you. And when he uses this word heart, he's not only talking about the real me, he's also referring to the real problem. Because the problem is our heart has been stained. Our heart is filled with uncleanness. Aren't you glad that when you come to church... There's not this LED screen over your head that shows everybody what's on the inside. Every thought, every desire, every attitude, every, every feeling. You know what happened if we started doing that? Nobody would come to church, right? Amen. Because, listen, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with some of the stuff people know about me on the outside. I, I sure don't want them knowing everything that's on the inside. Jesus here is talking about a purity, a cleansing That goes to the very core issue, which is the heart. Jesus went on later in this same book of the Bible to say it this way, Matthew chapter 15. He said, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the, say it out loud, heart. And those defile the man. For out of the, say it again, heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus hears again, talking about these rules. That they, that, that's not the deal. He says it's about the heart. Why? Because everything proceeds out of the heart. Here's a reality check for all of us. Inside of your heart and my heart is the potential for every sin under heaven. That'll help us if we realize that. That I have the capacity with the fallen nature that's, the, that's on the inside. I have a capacity in my flesh. It's another word for the heart. I have a capacity for every sin. That'll help us in being judgmental, right? Because when you see somebody who's struggling with something, here's what you need to know. But for the grace of God... That could be you. Oh, I'd never do that. Oh, yes, you would. Out of the heart comes all of it. And here's what else this means. Every time you and I have stepped across God's boundary, every time you've sinned against God, you know where it started? In an unguarded moment in your heart. In an unguarded moment, you allowed your heart to wrap around something that ultimately came out in action, right? My granddaddy used to say, what's down in the well is coming up in the bucket. And that's true, right? (laughs) But what we allow ourselves to dwell on, 
what we allow our heart to wrap around, it'll ultimately come out in action. But here's what Jesus says. It's wrong in the heart. It's not just wrong when it gets out there. It's wrong in here. And Jesus here is in contrast to the Pharisees who were teaching a purity of action. And yet even in purity of action, they were failing miserably. Jesus now shows up and begins to teach a purity that goes to the very core of who I am. It's a purity on the inside. Heart. Third word. See. Say that word out loud. See. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now... The Greeks here are much more intelligent than us as Americans in the way we view our language in English, all right? We have the word see that can mean a lot of different things. In the Greek language, in the New Testament in particular, there are three different words in the New Testament that we translate with this one word, see. And it's important to know which word is being used, and you have to figure it out based on context. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I want to teach you some Greek words today, all right? I know you came to church hoping you could learn some Greek, so I'm going to teach you some Greek words. Here's the first one. It's the word blepo. Say that word out loud. Blepo. The word blepo, you know what it means? To see. Now, it means, like, like if, here's the way we would use that word. If I put, take my hand, I put it in front of my face, I see my hand. Now, I don't see my hand. I see my hand. I don't see it. I blepo my hand. I don't blepo my hand to see, right? Do it with me. Put your hand in front of your face. Blepo, right? Okay, now put it back. You don't blepo it anymore, right? I did blepo it, but now I'm not blepoing it, right? That's blepo. Here's the second word that's translated see. It's the word theomai. Say that word out loud. Theomai. We get an English word from it. It's the word theater. It's when you go see a movie. Now, we would just use this word. The Greeks would say theomai. To theomai means you're watching and observing every detail, and you're doing that trying to draw a conclusion. It's when you go into the watch the movie, you go into a play, you're watching every scene play out, but you're taking it in and you're comprehending it so that you can understand the story and emotionally connect with it. It's theomai. Third word is the word orao. Say that word out loud. Orao. See all these Greek words you know now? Orao. You know what it means? To see. But it's the kind of see that means to, to know. It means to see face to face. It means to converse with. It means to have fellowship with. The way we would use this word in English, we would say, I'm going to see my friend. Now, when you say, I'm going to see my friend, you're not going to say, I'm going to go blepo my friend, right? <laughs> that would get awkward really fast, right? Hey, I'm here to see you. You're also not going to say, I'm going to th- oh my you. You do your thing. I'm just going to watch. I'm going to watch you all day today, and I'm going to try to draw. No, no. That, when you say, I'm going to go see my friend, you say, I'm going to go arao. Why? Because you're going to have fellowship with. You're going to, to face-to-face converse with. Which word do you think Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5? He used the word orao. So here's what he said. Blessed are those who were dirty, but now they've been made clean on the inside. 
And they get to enjoy fellowship with God. What a promise. So, two conclusions. Here are the two teaching points I'm going to give you as takeaways. First one. Only those who have been cleansed on the inside will ever know God. This is why the greatest lie to ever come out of the pit of hell is religion. You know what religion says? Religion says you do your best and hopefully you'll earn favor with God. Religion is that that image of the scales, right? All the stuff I did good on one side, all the stuff I did bad on the other side. And I try through religion to pile up stuff on the good side so that the good hopefully outweighs the bad. And I'll stand before good old God someday and he'll say, man, you did the best you could. Come on into heaven. That's religion. Religion is man's attempt to somehow earn a cleansing, to earn a right standing before God. And it doesn't matter if you call it Islam. It doesn't matter if you call it Mormonism. It doesn't matter if you call it Hinduism. It doesn't matter if you call it Christianity. If what you're practicing only focuses on external outward transformation, you will never know God. That raises a serious question. (laughs) How do I clean the inside? You can't. But there is the beauty of the gospel. You see, what I could not do For myself, God sent his son to do on my behalf. Let me show it to you. In in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, the Bible says, He, God the Father, made him, Jesus, God the Son, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Here's what that means. When Jesus came into the world on the cross, Jesus took all of your sin and all of my sin, every every action, every deed, but every thought, every desire, every feeling, every wrong intention. He took all of our sin and on the cross, him who was sinless, became sin for us. And on the cross, Jesus died to pay the penalty for my sin. But he did not stay dead. He rose again as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins so that now you and I can put our faith and trust in Jesus. And guess what we get? Read it. We get to what? Become the what? Oh, don't miss this. The righteousness of who? That is so good. Some people think that when you believe in Jesus, God now treats you just as if you'd never sinned. That's not true. Because that'd be man's best righteousness. That's not what he gives us. He says when we put our faith in Jesus, we're given the very righteousness of God. 
God himself. Meaning this, when God looks at my heart, you know what he sees? He sees me as sinless as Jesus himself. You say, did you earn that? Oh, no. Does your life always demonstrate that? Oh, no. Just ask my wife. No, no, no. By grace, it's been given to me. You know what? I was dirty, and he has made me clean, and I'm as clean as Jesus himself. How do you get in on that? By faith. We turn from our sin, and we embrace Jesus. Here's the second application. Only those pursuing purity in their daily lives experience real fellowship with God. You see, purity is what I now am before God and Jesus. But purity is also now what Christ is producing through my life as I live in fellowship with him. Pure is now my standing before God. It's my position But pure is also becoming my practice as I live in fellowship with him. As our minds and our hearts single-mindedly devote to this pursuit. It's why you could literally translate Matthew 5, 8 this way. It could be read, blessed are the ones walking in purity. It was the heart of Paul when Paul wrote this in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to Paul's purity of devotion. He said, more than that. I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul had this pursuit of purity. Paul wanted to now live righteously out of this position of righteousness that he had inherited from Jesus. And I want to close today by giving you three questions. And these are questions that over the next 21 days, I hope that you'll use. I hope that uh, you'll, you'll, you'll spend some time thinking on these questions But these questions, we'll also, over the next couple of weeks, we'll probably come back to these a little bit in some way or another. But here's question number one that will examine our pursuit of purity in our daily lives. Am I being honest with God about everything in my life? Am I being honest with God? See, here's what we tend to do. We tend to give God sections of our life And then we keep some sections over here that we kind of deem off limits. If we're going to be pure, if we're going to live out of this purity, it means single devotion. Meaning, I'm giving him everything. Nothing's off limits. Have you invited God into every area of your life to have his way? Listen to what John writes about it in 1 John. He said, if we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we do what? Say it out loud. I'm sorry, say it again. Here's what that means. If I say me and God are good, 
and there's an area of my life that I've not yielded him, I'm walking in it. Here's what the Bible says you're doing. You're living a lie. Any area where you're living a lie right now? And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, transparency, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You being honest with God about everything? Here's the second question. Am I allowing God to speak into my life through his word? Think back on 2018. What kind of priority did you give to time alone with God and his word? Now, reading the Bible for the sake of reading the Bible is not what I'm talking about, all right? Some of you have already started in a one-year Bible reading plan. Listen, nothing wrong with it. It's great. But the goal is not content. The goal is not to read the Bible in a year. The goal is to be alone with God. Am I allowing God to speak into my life through his word? Let me show you a verse out of Psalms. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way? What's that word? Pure. How do you do that? By keeping it according to your word. So what do we do? With all my heart, I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have. What's that word? Is that your your practice? I am treasuring the word of God in my heart. Listen, if you don't begin to treasure God's word in your heart, 2019 is not going to be any different in 2018. Third question. Am I consistently examining the things that influence my life? Am I examining the things that influence my... Let's be honest. Every day, we are bombarded with impurity. Social media, internet, movies, music, conversation at the office. Every day, we're bombarded with impurity. You know what we need to do? We need to regularly examine before the Lord the things we're allowing to influence who we are. Why? Because who we are on the inside is going to come out. You can't take garbage in, garbage in, garbage in, garbage in and not get what? Garbage out. Show you a verse of scripture that's a great filter. Paul gave it to us in Philippians chapter 4. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, think about social media. Think about the internet. Is this what you're focused on? Whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. What am I allowing to influence? I need to examine those things. Take a look at them. Why? Because we want to prepare our hearts for the year ahead. Let's pray together today. Father, would you, as only you can in this moment, speak to us? Lord, may your Holy Spirit give us understanding and illumine our minds to respond rightly to your word. As you sit quietly in a spirit of prayer before the Lord, in just a moment, we're going to have a time to respond. 
one of the ways we're going to respond is we're going to all stand and we're going to sing a song of worship to God that really is a declaration of our need for him today. Another way we're going to invite you to respond is maybe you're here today and you've never experienced the cleansing on the inside. You've never by faith surrendered your life to Jesus and been made pure by him. You've been trying but you've not surrendered your life to Jesus. If that's you, maybe you came to church today on the first Sunday of a new year because you thought, you know what? I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to try to change some things in my life. Listen, I'm going to let you in on a secret. Hope Church cannot change your life. But the Jesus that we worship can. He can. And if you'll come to him today and by faith receive him. We have pastors that are up here at the front. When we sing this song in just a moment, if you're here today and you would like to be forgiven, you would like to experience this cleansing on the inside that can only come through Jesus. When we stand to sing, you can come to one of these pastors. And all you need to say is, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down and open a Bible and show you how you can begin a personal relationship with God. All you got to do is just come today. Just come. Just come. Another way you can respond today is if you're already a Christian, we're going to open these steps up like an altar where you can just come be alone with God. Maybe God's spoken to you about something in your heart, in your life, that you want to just make a fresh surrender to him as you begin a new year. This altar is going to be open. Also, our pastors are here. If there's something in your job, your health, your family, a relationship, your marriage that you want us to pray with you about, we'd be honored to pray. You can just come. We'll pray for you. So a lot of ways to respond, but that's the focus of this moment. It's not to slip out early. It's to respond to God in worship. Lord, have your way in this moment. Draw to yourself. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.